Well, good morning again. Thanks for being here with us, uh, whether you are here physically in the room or you're watching online or maybe even you're listening later to the podcast. It's awesome to be with you and we're thankful that you chose to take part of your week, part of your Sunday and come and worship with us and learn together. My name is Corey. If we haven't had the privilege of meeting, I'm the lead pastor here at GFC and I'm excited to wrap up a short little series we've been doing here called Generous or talking about generosity. And so a couple of weeks ago, we started talking about time and how we're generous with time and how we manage time. And we looked at some examples of how Jesus did that and what that meant in his life and then how we could apply that in our lives. And then Andy was here last week, one of my good friends, and he shared with us about how we as the church have been given the opportunity to influence others. We're part of that act. Jesus put us in this place to be investing in others and influence others. And so if you missed either one of those weeks, you can always go back on YouTube, uh, go back to wherever you get your podcasts and you can listen along and kind of fill yourself in on where we've been. But I also warned you two weeks ago that we were going to have a conversation about money. And this is that week. So I I said, like, I understand the elephant in the room, right? I said two things about this two weeks ago, and I'll say them again. First of all, we put this on the calendar like five months ago. So it wasn't the idea of like, man, gas is more expensive than ever. Let's talk about money right now. Like that wasn't the logic that we used. We just planned this out and we felt God leading us that way. We got everything figured out for the year and then all this stuff happened and it was like, okay, well, this is convenient. So I want us to know, like not over-spiritualizing, but at the same time, right, God led us to this conversation. And, and interestingly enough, as I did some research this week and kind of looked around to see what other churches are talking about at this point in time, I found at least two to three other churches that are either connected with our fellowship or in our area having the exact same conversations in the exact same two to three weeks. That's interesting, right? So I don't know why God is leading us to a conversation at this time about money when money is one of the things that is tightest right now, but it seems like maybe he's doing something not just in our church, in our lives, but he's also doing it in the lives of the church in general, maybe in our area or places that are connected with us. I want to start off with this question because I think sometimes this happens, right? Why is money maybe quote unquote off limits in church? Why is it something that when, when I got up here and all of a sudden I started to say, hey, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about that. Maybe some of you went, oh no, or something changed inside of you and you got a little bit off for a minute. Why is that the case? Why does money sometimes seem like it's a separate conversation from the conversation maybe we thought we wanted to have? Why does that happen? And we can see in culture why that would be the case, right? Who's the awkward character in the movie? The awkward character in the movie is the person who, like, when someone drives up in a new car, they go, how much did that cost, right? Or that's an awkward conversation. Or maybe someone says about, they're having a conversation about what they do, and they say, man, how much money do you make in that? That's the awkward person in the movie, right? That's something that you don't do. It's something that's different. It's something that we shouldn't do. And so there's this stigma in culture. There's a stigma in church about money and how we leverage that. But here's a a different question for you. Why is money not seen as a spiritual issue? Why is it at times when we have that conversation, we might go over here and be like, okay, yeah, let's have the conversation about marriage. Let's have a conversation about parenting. Let's have a conversation about my quiet time. And then there's this other conversation where we go, but this conversation about money is a little bit different, right? There's spiritual things, and then maybe we separate money out. And what I want us to process a little bit today is that money and what we do with our resources is going to be something 
that is also spiritual and also has implications, and Jesus talks about it a lot. You know, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about prayer. It was high on the list of things that he talked about. Why? Because it's something we are all going to have to figure out, and we're all going to need to deal with. So here's what we're going to do. Today's going to be a little bit different than what I normally do. What I normally do is take a passage of scripture, and we walk through the whole thing, right? And we go piece by piece, and I help us understand where that's going. We're going to bounce today, okay? So we're going to go to three different places in Scripture and try and glean some information, some thoughts about what this means and how we kind of create a framework of what it means to use our finances in a way that is honoring to God. And one of the cool things is that we do here, right, if this is your first time, we have the follow-along page. And I think maybe the slides are having a little trouble for this right now. So here's what I want you to do. If you want to follow along and have the information, have the notes, have the passages on your phone, you just take your Next Steps card and if you scan that little QR code right there, it'll take you to the Next Steps tab, and you can see all the notes we're going to talk about. Oh, we're good. Thanks, Patrick. That'll be great. So maybe it'll be up on the screen, too, but if you want to follow along, uh, you can use that QR code, and you will be all set. The first place we're going to go, if you have a physical Bible, is going to be Leviticus. Now, if you're like me, I just said we're going to talk about money, and we're going to Leviticus. You're like, oh, great start, Corey. Like, that is not the direction that we thought we were going today. But Leviticus, in chapter 23, we're going to read just verse 22. Okay, so you can turn there if you want. It's early on in scripture, or we'll have it up here on the screen for you. It says this in Leviticus 23, 22. It says, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields, and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. So this was a practice that was true in the Old Testament. And luckily for us, right, many of us, you probably drove past 15 farms on the way here. So we get that. There's farms where you see corn or you see beans or whatever, like eventually in the fields. And so you might even see in the fall, there are people harvesting it and that's what it does. And so back in this time, in order to provide for people that didn't have, they said, leave the outer section of the field. So if somebody came and they were poor, they needed food, there was a foreigner that didn't have a job yet, they could just, after the harvest was done, it was like, hey, whatever's left on the outside end, whatever's left on the ground, go get it. It was their way of taking care of people and leaving some extra so that there was the opportunity to share with those who were in need. One of the things I said two weeks ago, and I I think this phrase is so, so important and so true, is that generosity is strangled when margin doesn't exist. And so for these farmers, that was their margin. Being able to say, hey, we're going to be able to leave a section of area or or we know we're not going to live off of everything that's in our field. We're only going to take this section so that we have the margin to be generous. So that when someone came and maybe knocked on their door and said, you have any extra? They go, yep, out there, go ahead. It's all yours. It's all there. Now, here's what I want us to understand, right? If you're a farmer sitting in the room or you're watching at home, right, this doesn't mean that this is what you have to do with your field, right? This isn't the same way today. It's not something that we have to take and translate over to practice today. But here's what I want us to understand. There's three things I want us to understand about money today. And the first thing is that margin isn't an accident. 
Very rarely do you, maybe it's just me, but like very rarely do you get to the end of a month, end of a year or whatever, and you're like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden there's some money left over, right? Now maybe, maybe you had a different windfall of something or, or something negative happened, right? Maybe someone passed away and they left you money or something like that. And so there's some income there or something that you didn't expect. And so when that happens, sure, you've got some left over. But largely, I think we understand like when we're using the money that we've had brought in, we made or whatever, there's rarely margin unless we do it on purpose. And if you're like me, we find a way to use it if it's there, right? It's just something that we plan for. But margin isn't an accident. And so, I, again, this isn't a practice, this verse in Leviticus, where we have to literally do this with our farms. But I think it's a good understanding of how we see our finances. The farmers had access to that entire field. And if they had decided to, they could have just taken it all, right, and used it all. But what God said was a good practice was to say, let's leave that outside. And I would say that a first place to start maybe with our finances is to leave some margin. To not be planning to use it all, but to leave that outside edge or leave a certain percentage and say, that's the section that allows me to be generous because when there is no margin, I'm unable to do so. I don't know where to find it. And so when I have that margin built in, it's going to be helpful. The second place I want to go in scripture is Luke. So you're in Leviticus. If you're using a physical Bible, you've got to flip pretty far and come over to Luke. And we're going to go to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 4. So starting in Luke 21, verses 1 and 2 says this. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Verses 3 and 4. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Now, a very interesting couple of verses here. First of all, I think it's very interesting. Jesus was like hanging out there watching. Like how awkward would it be if we posted somebody at all the giving boxes and we're like watching what people gave, right? We're not going to do that. But it's interesting that Jesus was doing that. And then Jesus thought it was important enough that when he saw what people were giving and then he saw what this poor lady was giving, he made it a point to stop and say something to the disciples about it. And one of the phrases that I've said at different times and I will say again in the future is that what I want for our church is that we would say that faith drives our generosity. That faith would drive our generosity. Now, why do I say that? Look at the contrast between the two groups of people that are giving in this passage. He says the rich people were just giving a part of their surplus. He says it's good that they are giving. He's not saying it's wrong. He's not saying it's bad. But he's saying they're giving out of a surplus. What the other lady did was she gave everything. She gave to the point where she, if she gave this much, she was actually going to depend on God to show up and provide for what she needed. And Jesus says, That gift was worth more. The second thing I want us to understand about giving is that the gifts that are worth the most cause tension in our self-reliance. Now, that's a difficult one. But again, Jesus makes the point to turn to the disciples and say this. If you remember like three weeks ago, we talked about the church of Laodicea. And when we talked about the church of Laodicea, he talked about the rich people. And I said, when you see, when we see as Americans... 
we see the phrase rich people, we should listen. Now, why did I say that? Because plenty of times, like we look at each other, we see other people, we look at Jeff Bezos who's getting ready to send a rocket to Mars or whatever he's doing. And we look at that and we go, that person's rich. I'm not rich. But in the grand scheme of things, when we understand who we are as Americans and we look at the rest of the globe, we are the rich people. And so when we see somebody talking about rich, we should pause and say, what's going on? We should listen because of where we find ourselves in this time and space. And what was said to the Laodiceans, right? What Jesus said through John to them was their phrase was like, okay, I'm rich. I have everything I need. And that was a big part of them being seen as lukewarm. Because what they weren't doing is living their lives to the point where they needed faith to continue. They were leaning into what they could do, how they could provide what they had built up and what they were able to do. And not saying, I need to then live at a pace that causes me to still have faith in Jesus. This is what Jesus is talking about in this passage. That the gifts that are worth the most would cause tension in our self-reliance. And there's almost that minute of like, do I give that much? Do I be generous in this way? What's going to happen if I am? Am I then depending on Jesus to show up and to say, I'm going to be present. I'm going to provide for you if I give to this point. And I think there's a friction area in, in what we give and how we give. Where we can go, okay, this is what I'm supposed to give or this is whatever and this is what I'm living on. And then there's that friction area where it goes Am I depending on God? Is my, is my giving to the point where there needs to be faith in order for that to show up, for God to show up? And, and he would then provide out of what I'm giving. And so the gifts that are worth the most to Jesus based on this passage are the ones that cause tension in our own self-reliance. I want to go to a third passage really quick. In 1 Timothy, we're going to go to chapter 6. We're going to read verses 17 through 19. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting verse 17, look what it says. Teach those who are rich. So we go, time out. That's us. What do we do? In this world, not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Verse 19, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Now let me pause because there's a lot in this. Let's go back to verse 17 really, really quickly, right? Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust their money, which is so unreliable. Then, this is a very interesting phrase, right? Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Now, in Christianity, in faith circles, I think there's two extremes that happen when it comes to talking about finances and maybe even prosperity, right? I've heard people who are followers of Jesus say, basically, you need to live in poverty if you are a Christian. You shouldn't have nice clothes. You shouldn't have a nice house. You shouldn't have a nice car. You should just give it all away, give it all away, give it all away so that you basically live on nothing so that you can look more like Jesus. Okay, That's one end of the spectrum. Now, there's the other end of the spectrum that says, if you give to Jesus, he'll give it back tenfold. 
right? Almost promising wealth. Now, don't ever listen to that. That's garbage, okay? So I think both sides have, a, this side's garbage. I think this side has a little bit of virtue to it, okay? Just because you give doesn't mean automatically Jesus is going to give us back 10 times the amount. That's not what it is. If you start to give, it doesn't mean that we're going to get rich. But those are the two sides, the two extremes that seem to be present. What I'm saying is there's got to be a middle ground. And why is that? Because this second phrase, their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. What does that mean? I think that means if we are being faithful and giving to God and, and doing what we're supposed to do and what we're called to do, and if you have money left over to buy the vacation house, buy the vacation house. Like, do what you can do with what God has given you. There doesn't need to be guilt in what we're doing if we're following Jesus in the way that we should give, right? Because he says, he gives us all for our enjoyment, right? So you want to take your wife out for a nice dinner for your anniversary and spend more than you usually do? That's okay, right? It doesn't mean we have to live in poverty. But at the same time, we have to have the right perspective. And it also means that we have to be giving to the point where we're supposed to. We're doing what God has called us to do. And in verse 18, let's just go back through it. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. He makes these two points, right? Money is, is unreliable. God is reliable. We know money is unreliable, right? Stock market crashes. Then what happens? right? Or, you know, if you've got a bunch of money stored under your mattress and a house fire happens or something like that, right? All of a sudden, like, your money goes away. You have a problem with your house and you have to spend more than you wanted to, right? Your, your savings are depleted. Money can be very fickle. It can come and it can go. And what this is saying, don't be proud. Don't depend on your money. Make sure that you are relying on God. It's very easy for us. It's very easy for me too, to rely on what I've saved, to rely on that as my security, to say, oh, I good, I have this amount, so when my truck breaks down, I can fix it, and it's not that big of a deal, right? That makes me feel secure. What this passage is saying is, that's not why I should feel secure. The reason I should feel secure is because there's a God who put that money there in the first place, and he provided that for me. It's not because of what I've done. It's because of what he's offered to me. And so when we get too much in the idea of being reliable, relying on our money or relying on what we can do, build up our money, we lose sometimes that faith in God to provide for us. And so the third thing coming out of verse 18 that I want us to understand about money is that gifts from God are given to be shared. So we talked about the first thing, right? Margin isn't an accident. Then we said the gifts that are worth the most cause tension our own self-reliance. And then the third thing I would say is that gifts from God are given to be shared. And I would say this is true not just with money or resources or whatever have you, but it's the gifts that God has given us, okay? I'll tell you right now, I am not a handy person, okay? Like changing the tub drain yesterday was like enough for me, okay? I'm like trying to figure this out. I am not a handy person. One of the things I hang my hat on though sometimes is that I'm willing to get up here every week and talk for a half an hour. Many of us, if I said fix a tub or give a sermon, you would go fix the tub all day, right? You want nothing to do with staying up here. Why is that? Because God has given me a gift where I can say, you know, I, I don't lose sleep over being in front of you and having this conversation. I enjoy teaching. I enjoy preaching. And so God has given me that gift. It would be wasted if I just preached to my mirror all the time. 
If I just, now I do listen to myself when I preach and I need to listen to the own things I say. But if I just did that in my house all the time, my gift would be wasted. I've been given a gift so that I can share it with you. You guys have been given a gift so that you can share it with others, right? The musicians that were just up here, you've been given gifts so that you can share it with all of us and lead us in worship. I'm saying the same thing is true of the resources, the money that God gives us. When he gives us a gift, when he provides for us, he provides so that we can share it with others. And when he's generous to us, the goal is not for us to just hold on to it, but that we would share it and offer it to other people in need when they need it. And that we would give it back to him. And so I go back to that second question I asked at the beginning of our conversation this morning. And I would say that stewardship is always a spiritual issue. Stewardship is just a big word about how I use what God has given me. How I leverage it. How I offer it. How I hand it back over to God. What I do with the things that God has given me is stewardship. And I would say to you that what we do with our money is a spiritual issue. I saw this quote as I was studying this week, and I think it's great, and I I agree with it 100%. It's from Andy Stanley. He said, if you have not put Jesus first in your finances, you haven't put Jesus first. Again, it's easy, right? We separate some things and we go, let's talk about that today, right? Let's talk about these spiritual things. I don't want to talk about this. Or money is in a separate category, but the reality is if we haven't put him first, it means we're holding on to something in a way that we're not supposed to. And he is the one who should be first in all aspects of our life, and that includes what's in our bank account. Now, I want to go to a, pra- a place briefly that is very on the nose, okay? Because I want us to know where we are. <clears throat> I want us to know where we are. And so if you're not a partner here, you're not a regular attender, you can like pay attention, but you can tune out for a couple minutes, okay? And if you get our weekly emails, you know where we are when it comes to budget, but I just want to put it up here in case you don't get to our weekly emails. After the first quarter of 2022, here's where we're at. We're $14,000 behind, 20% behind. So that means, by the way, we are not a rich church, right? We don't have a ton of money laying around. So that means if this continues, we're going to hit some difficult conversations, probably around the summertime, because That's when, if we're trending in the same direction, we're going to have to have those difficult conversations about what goes, what happens with that, okay? So I get it. We're having a conversation about giving, and I'm like, hey, this is where we're at, and here's what I'm going to say. To those of us who are partners and regular attenders, we have to do something about this. And I say we, not like you. I mean we. Like, Becca and I have already had a conversation about giving more. It's already happened. So we need to do something about that. And I get where this is a place where I'm not, I'm not trying to manipulate you. And there are times, and there's a conversation happening about churches right now, where they go, churches just want your money. Right? That's what they want from you. They want, you, they want to take your money so that they can get rich. Listen, I don't want to be rich. I don't even want to. Not, not in my list of things to do. But at the same time, what I want to do is I want us, as a church, to be able to be generous to other people. So I want to be able to say when CrossNet comes and has another need, we can go, yep, we got it. Done right? Somebody comes and has a conversation with us about a need they have done. Automatic, yes, because we know we have the margin. And right now, we're in a place where that's difficult to do. So partners, regular attenders, where are we in this conversation? How do we do it? You know, I want to 
ask this question. I have three questions as we wrap our time for us to process and, and figure out what we do with this. The first question is simply this. What commitment have you made? And I want to tell you a little bit about what Becca and I do. Not to like brag, not to say this is exactly what you have to do, but I want you guys to know like I'm in this too, right? This isn't a conversation I'm having. I'm telling you what to do. I'm saying we as a church family, this is what we're doing. And so when we got married 10 years ago, we decided to give 10%. So that's what we did. We set aside 10% and we gave it. It was automatically gone and we lived on the other 90, right? So about a year or so into our marriage, we got to the point where I took, I finally got to full-time ministry, something I had been working on for 10 years before that. And so I said, and we had a conversation, we sat down and we said, we want to give 11%. We we said, why? Like, what, what was the reason for that? And my reason for that was I wanted to give God more than what he was asking for. That's what I wanted to do. Again, not bragging, just telling you what we do. So what does that mean? That means that we have our 10% set aside. We have our 90% set aside. And that's about a percentage and, percentage, percentage and a half, 2%, right, of our income where we just have it set aside, and it's our generosity budget. So when something comes along, and somebody needs something, somebody needs a meal, somebody needs uh, help paying for something, there's, just, there's a family in a grocery store parking lot that needs groceries, we just go, done. Like, we have it, we can do it. We, remember, we took the field and we said, we have the edges. We can give from that. It's already set aside. Here's how this has worked out for me. Um, I made a decision, I don't remember when, but years ago, that if somebody ever came up to me at a gas pump and said they needed a tank of gas, I was automatically just going to buy their gas. Now, when I told my high school students that, they were like, so if I find you and I need gas, you'll buy my gas, right? And I was like, one time. And back then, they were like, wow, that's like $30. I'm like, yeah, that's a little different today. But um, that was, that's one of the things that just has been the case. I've just, that's it. So yes, the offer is open to you. If you ever need a tank of gas, I'll buy you a tank of gas. But here's, here's what's happened. Five or six times this has happened to me where some random person comes up and asks me for gas. Now, normally, when I have that conversation, I had this conversation with Pastor Andrew earlier this week. He said, that's never happened to me. That's usually the response I get. Never happened. But in my life, it's happened five or six times. Why is that? Maybe it's because God already knows I've said yes. And so when that person needs something, something moves them towards me. And I buy them a tank of gas and I pray for them. That's what I do. And so that happens because we've decided that there's that little bit that when that happens, I don't have to call and say, hey, is this cool if I spend X amount of dollars on gas for somebody? It's just already there because we've already decided we're going to hold that money like this. And when God comes to take it, take it. It's not ours. We just allow him to have it, no matter what that means. And we don't have to have, you know, a long conversation about it. It just, it just happens. So what's your commitment? What have you decided to give? What's the thing that, what's the percentage? What's the whatever? And maybe, maybe you haven't before, right? And you hear me say 10% and you go, oh man, going from zero to 10 is a lot of money. Here's what I would say to that. I get it if you can't go zero to 10 I do think if you went 0 to 10, God would show up. And that's not to be manipulative. That's just honest. Because I've seen the way that we've managed our finances. God just shows up. When we hold our funds with open hands, he just shows up. I believe that's true. 
So if you haven't, if you're, if this isn't even a part of your conversation yet, start somewhere, right? Start with a percentage, but make a commitment. And if it's not already a commitment in your mind as a person or as a couple or whatever, start somewhere and say, what can I do? What commitment have we made? The second question is this. Do you have a predetermined yes? I have a predetermined yes about a tank of gas, right? I have other predetermined yeses. But do you have a predetermined yes that when God shows up and says, here's a need that's in front of you, that it's not even a thought, it's just a yes. I will show up. I will give back what Jesus has given to me in order that somebody else could have what they need. What's your predetermined yes? And are you willing to answer that when God comes and knocks on the door? The third question and the last question is this. How is God asking you to deal with the friction? It's very true that there could be those of us sitting here today and through this whole conversation, all you felt was peace because you're exactly where God wants you to be and that's awesome and you need to be where God wants you to be and I don't want you to feel your arm twisted into anything. If you have felt peace about this whole conversation, you're good. Don't, don't move. If God's not telling you to move, don't move. But I'm guessing that there are those of us that might be sitting here going, there's some friction in this conversation to me. And I'm either not giving what I'm supposed to, I haven't been giving, or I'm not, being, I'm not giving to the point where faith is involved in what I'm doing. And there's some friction that's happening in us and what God is asking us to do. And so the question is, what are you doing with the friction? How is God asking you to deal with it? Where is that middle ground between I know what I need to live on, I've offered what I've offered to God, and then there's that middle section that just I need to be willing to give that over because God might do more than he's asking me to do. He might ask for more than he's asking me to give. What does that look like? And so if you're a part of our church family, you know where we're at. How are we going to deal with the friction? If you're not a part of our church family, even if you're, a not, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you no arm twisting to give to our church. But I would argue that just being generous, having the opportunity to be generous, budgeting in a way that you can be generous to other people, whether it's homeless people or people that need help, like whatever it is, whether it's giving to our church or not, I would argue that that will set you up and you would be more in control of your finances and you would see fruit from that. Not that you're going to get rich, but that you're going to make better financial decisions because you're willing to be generous to other people. I truly believe that this, I believe all of this, right? That's why I told you about what we do, because it's not just me telling you what to do. I'm in it too. And I want us to be a church where faith drives our generosity. It's not out of obligation. It's out of faith to say, when I hand it over, I'm trusting that God is going to give it back. He's going to provide for what I need. I'm not going to go in need because of it because I trust that he's going to show up if I'm faithful to him. So I would challenge you this week. It'll be easy to walk away from this conversation, right? Sometimes the challenges I give you are spend more time with Jesus and take a nap, okay? Sometimes that's the challenge I give you, right? Those weeks, a little bit easier than this week. But then sometimes we get down to this stuff and it's like rubber's got to meet road. We've got to do something. And I honestly believe that if we are being obedient to God in this area of life, he will show up in ways 
that we never thought he would show up. Would you pray with me before the band comes back up? Lord, we're grateful for the ways that you've been generous to us, for the ways that you've provided for us when we were in need, for the ways you provided for us in abundance when we weren't even in need and we still, you still blessed us. And we ask that you would move us to a place of generosity from what you've given, that you would make it clear in our hearts and minds what that means, how we are to be generous, what percentage that is, or who that's giving to, or what opportunity to step in and to offer what you've given to us to provide for somebody else. And God, I ask that you would move us to a place where our generosity is out of faith and not out of obligation or not out of whatever else we would give out of, but that we would move to a place where we're giving to a point where we need you to show up and we're trusting you to provide for what we need. We thank you that we are part of the most wealthiest percentage on the face of the earth. And I ask that we wouldn't take that for granted, but that we would use that to be generous, to influence people, and to introduce more people to you. In Jesus' name.